Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, back after a one-week absence and so much to talk about when it comes to oil and when it comes to diesel. You have to drill to get oil, and you need oil to make diesel, and that's why we call the show Drilling Deep. We're also joined by a guest of the week, and this time it's Neil Costa. Neil is the head of a company called Higher Clicks, and they have many clients in the trucking business who use higher clicks to drive their social media strategy connected with their recruiting efforts. Even in this weak market, trucking companies are all still hiring. They're always looking for people. And Neil is going to talk about what works and maybe what doesn't work in the intersection between recruiting and social media in just a few minutes. Let's talk about diesel. I think actually we'll wait another week to talk about that very disturbing decline in diesel inventories in the U.S., the levels are getting down near historically low numbers, and it's definitely concerning. For now, I want to talk about something that seems far away from the U.S., and it is far away, Nigeria. I listened to a podcast this week hosted by a former colleague of mine who is based in London, a guy by the name of Joel Hanley, who is extremely knowledgeable. And the topic of the podcast was the Dangote Refinery in Nigeria, which is supposed to be at full operation in just a few weeks. It is a monster refinery. It's about a 650,000 barrel per day capacity plant. Remember when the Philadelphia Energy Solutions Refinery in Philadelphia was shut back in 2019? It was a big deal at the time. And there were all sorts of hand-wringing about the loss of U.S. refining capacity. The, the capacity of PES was about half of Dan Gote. Many of the things that Joel and some of his colleagues talked about on the podcast aren't really all that interesting to the Drilling Deep audience. But what is extremely important, and what I really want to drive home here, is that the diesel-consuming to the diesel-consuming community in the U.S. is that the refinery matters very, very much. Several times they use the term on the podcast, Atlantic Basin. That's the term used in oil markets to describe that big, vast ocean and the oil markets that trade around them. Maybe it's not a big deal to you if you're in California or maybe the Rockies, but otherwise you are going to be tied to the Atlantic Basin diesel market to some degree. Are you using diesel made from U.S. crude in a U.S. refinery and think, well, it doesn't affect me? Of course it does, because that diesel could have been exported into the Atlantic Basin and it wasn't. That matters to you. Or maybe the advantages that the U.S. has were able to keep out an, ex, an, an import. It all does matter. I'm going to date myself here a little bit whenever I explain this to somebody, but think of the diesel market as kind of like a giant waterbed. Yeah, I know. I'm old. I'm talking about waterbeds, but if you think about a waterbed, you push down on one corner of the waterbed and the water in the entire waterbed moves. The Atlantic Basin diesel market is just like that. The gasoline market too. That's where Dan Gotti comes in. One of the issues that diesel markets have had in the last few years, as well as gasoline markets, is that the flow of refinery closures and openings that usually go on all the time came to a halt during the pandemic, not the closure side. The closures continued, as I mentioned, PES, so that was a little bit pre-pandemic. But the problem is that the construction of new refining capacity was slowed during COVID, even if it stopped for a while because of the, uh, the desire to kind of quarantine everybody when it resumed, it was, it was supply chain problems. So what happened was that you lost a lot of capacity from closures and the new ones that were supposed to come on 
just didn't come on. The spreads over the last few years, the last few months between diesel and crude have started to come back to normal. But before that, they blew out the historic levels. And I don't think there's any doubt that the closure of refineries combined with the failure to, in, uh, to, failure to open up new ones because of COVID was a key reason for that. That's where Dan Goethe comes in. One of the issues that diesel markets have had in the last few years, as well as gasoline markets, is that the flow of refinery closures and openings that go on all the time came to a halt during the pandemic. The closures didn't stop, but the work to build new capacity was slowed by COVID and then the supply chain problems that developed afterward. The result was that the normal replacement of old refining capacity with new capacity did not proceed like it usually does. And you saw diesel spreads against crude blow out far beyond normal. That's a result in part, a lot of things in there, but a result in part of that imbalance between refinery closures and refinery additions. The spreads over the last few months have started to come back down toward normal levels, though they are still elevated by historic, by historic norms. I do want to point out that this is not just a trader thing. As those spreads blow out, eventually they will make their way to the pump. That's why the opening of Dan Goethe is so important. It adds in 650,000 barrels per day of refining capacity into that important Atlantic Basin, and that Atlantic Basin has a huge role in determining the price of diesel. In a recent report, RBC Capital Markets projected that global refining capacity will increase by 1.5 million barrels per day this year, and it's going to add another 2.4 million barrels per day next year. It is said to be the largest two-year increase in capacity in 45 years. Ultimately, as I said, the price for diesel that you pay at the pump is going to be set by the price of crude. But the ability to turn that crude into diesel and other products is hugely important. It's been tough to find places to do that in recent years, and diesel consumers have paid for that at the pump. A new giant refinery in Nigeria suggests that there's going to be relief on the way. Let's going to move on now here on Drilling Deep. You know, it is not enough to have job openings for drivers. Everybody has openings for drivers. It's also not enough to just pay enough because, let's face it, in the long run, everybody ends up pretty much saying the, paying the same or they're going to be out of business. So you've got to advertise and you've got to market and you've got to recruit. And our guest today on Drilling Deep is the founder and CEO of a company that does recruitment advertising for a lot of companies, many of them in trucking. He doesn't do just trucking, does other companies as well. He's Neil Costa. His company is called Higher Clicks, and he's here to join us on Drilling Deep. Neil, welcome. Thanks so much, John. Good to see you. Easiest way to start. Why don't you talk about Higher Clicks and what it does in that sort of pantheon of recruiting efforts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Higher Clicks is a recruitment marketing agency. Uh, we help our clients market and promote their jobs and also employ, uh, promote themselves as an employer, uh, build up their employer brand and get the word out on, on you know, what it's like to work at their organization. So it's a little niche for sure. Yeah. So how do you do it? I mean, give me an example, uh, you know, at, at, whether it's Acme Trucking or, or, or Acme, some other company will use Acme as the standard. Yeah, uh, you know, right, right out of the Wiley, Wiley Coyote uh, cartoons. <laughs> uh, what do you do for them? Give me an example of what they hire you to do and what you actually do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whether the company is hiring drivers, uh, mechanics, technicians, you know, or, or salespeople, uh, we help build them a customized strategy. We'll, we'll basically help them figure out, you know, how do they advertise in, in three buckets? 
One, you know, how do they take advantage of the job boards? People were going out and searching for jobs. Second, how do we go out and do advertising on social media and consumer sites? And then third, we'll help them build strategies on how to advertise in the real world, out of home, um, you know, anything like that. We're talking about signs, billboards, you know, gas toppers, anything like that. But, you know, those three buckets are really the, the, the recruitment marketing mix that we put together to help them reach their hiring goals. And before they hired you, did they just, hand, are most of the people that hired you, were they just doing this, these stuff themselves and now they decided to turn it over to somebody with more expertise? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, I think that we've run into a little bit of both people that, you know, have been trying to do it themselves. And that's, that can be challenging just from a timing perspective and having the availability to, to run all that um, and an expertise perspective. You know, some people are just not as familiar with some of the digital marketing channels that are out there. But we have run into other folks that have had another agency and it's, you know, time for them to move on and, and you know, hopefully find someone who's a little bit more innovative and a little bit more you know, active in how they manage their recruitment advertising. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine, particularly with social media, you know, I like to think of myself as social media savvy and probably once a week I read about some social media channel that I'd never heard of. And it clearly is your job to stay on top of all of those. So if there's suddenly a you know, suddenly a channel that comes out of nowhere. You know, you used to think something like Facebook, it was so dominant, right? And nothing could ever take any any market share from it. You know, and then Snap comes along and TikTok comes along. So it's it is constantly evolving. You've really got to stay on top of that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot. And I think it's, you know, it's one thing to see the enthusiasm for a social channel or a new channel and another another thing to try and discern how to how to get the best possible ROI on it, how to have your you know, employer brand participate in that channel in a, in a mindful and thoughtful way. You know, we're, we're, whenever we talk about those advertising channels, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're look, we're on borrowed time to some degree, right? Like we're trying to capture someone's interest, you know, in the moment. And that's not, that's not what they're there to do. They're not looking for jobs. So it's trying to figure out what messages will work. How does that impact, you know, the strategy and how do we test these things to see if there are signs of life to hire, hire new, you know, employees there. Talk about your involvement in trucking. How big is trucking in terms of your total business and how did you get into it? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, we're pretty well diversified across the economy. And, and that was important to me as a business owner to make sure that we're uh, not completely, you know, uh, up to our elbows in one industry or not so that we can be a more stable advertising partner for our clients. Um, but we've got, um, I mean, I'd say half a dozen really good significant size trucking organizations that are uh, you know, having the challenges that most other folks are out there. And, and I think our, our diverse uh, client background gives us an advantage. There's a lot of firms out there that just focus on trucking. And I think there's a spot for that. But, you know, when it comes to what else can we use from other industries that we pull together, whether it's retail or technology, that's what's giving us an advantage when we help our clients. Because in the end, that's what we're trying to do is give them a step, a leg up on, on their competitors. Now, are you, do you write the content? Do you uh, put together the campaign or are you just the person who says, look, I think you should use this channel. I think you should use that channel. Yeah. I mean, we'll do a little bit of everything. It depends on the client's needs, but uh, uh, we have a, a complete creative team so we can actually do the copywriting, do the, you know, if we're doing campaigns, we might often do an AB test and try a couple different ads, try a couple different landing pages. So we have all those creative skills in house and we can help our clients do that. But then we'll do the media buying uh, and all the analytics afterwards. And I think, John, that's where the, the kind of, you know, 
rubber meets the roads to, to, you know, so to speak that like when you figure out where are you spending money and what are you getting for a return on that? And that's, that's critical right now. You don't want to waste money in this market. All right. So the trucking audience that you'll be targeting that I'm going to guess is probably older than a lot of your audiences. Yes. The industry would love to get new young people behind the wheel, but it's been very difficult. And the reality is if you're looking for drivers, they're probably going to be in their forties or maybe in their fifties. What kind of channels are you using for them? And how does that contrast maybe with channels you might be using for some of your other clients? Yeah, so I think that um, we're using, uh, I would say, a, a broad spectrum of consumer marketing channels. So social is important, but when you start getting into uh, the demographics you're talking about, you know, we can actually use sites like YouTube where it's pretty universal, where we're looking at people like who are, who are focused on looking up hobby content and other things like that. We can really precisely target geographically too. So if we know that someone's got a hub in a certain marketplace or half a dozen marketplaces, we can do those targeted ads. But we're seeing that more traditional online sites are where we're spending a lot more time and money for our clients. When it comes to, to contrast that, someone in the retail space where we're looking at a lot of younger workers, there's a, a definite, um, the, the mix is heavily slanted towards things like TikTok and Snapchat. Right, and and they're they're the ones that are going to be discovering these new channels that and they'll they'll make them big before the average person even knows about them. Yeah, exactly, and and I think that there's others that are also universal though. You know, I think something like Spotify. You know, we're starting to see people um, of all ages use Spotify, and you know, for us to get our clients' ads on that, we can get you know we get the 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 audio ad and we get a um, you know an ad that goes in into the app itself. So. Things like that, we're testing on, on you know, really across the board in, in really any industry. At that point, we're starting to look at different music genres and, you know, what matches with the demographics we're targeting. What have you learned about trucking that maybe you didn't know before? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, let's go back to when you signed up your first trucking client, however long that was. You might have had some preconceived notions about marketing for trucking that once you face reality, you know, kind of fell apart. Uh, what are some of those lessons you've taken away? Yeah, well, it's it's probably been eight years. I mean, I started the business 13 years ago, and I'd say about eight years ago is when we signed our first trucking client. So we've been in it for a while. I think that um, you know that it's it's really the fit for a driver and the trucking organization is really important. And I think a lot more uh, consequences of what how does that impact you know family life? And and I think that's really one of the things that I probably hadn't thought through as as well before I knew the industry. And I think that there's just a uh, tremendous commitment to by, by the trucking organizations that we work with of people who are concerned about what's the work-life balance, how do we get people home, you know, what kind of roles are are, are um, the right fit for someone's you know, family at that moment in time. And that's been, that was probably the biggest surprise to me. Now, is that, is that becoming a, a significant theme of, of your ads? So you said you actually do do a lot of the content. As I mentioned early on, you know, everybody can post about pay, but in the long run, pay is just not going to be that much different. You, you know, you're either going to be competitive with prevailing levels or, or you're going to be out of business. Or if you go up, then everybody's going to have to chase you. So you're going to have to make a reference to pay, but nobody's going to really, you know, kick butt on pay. So what are some of the messages in trucking? I mean, maybe it's getting home frequently, which is a big issue for a lot of drivers. But what are some of the messages, messages that you've been driving home a lot of late? Yeah, I, I think that getting home is certainly one of them. But I also think that you know, when someone's making a, a, a change in where their income comes from, their job and everything like that, I mean, we're talking about top two or three different life 
you know, changing decisions. So I think what a lot of people we're trying to emphasize with our clients is to be authentic, you know, give people the real deal and give them something to connect with so they can feel that they're, they're making a safe move or a move that, you know, brings them closer to their values. And so it's hard, you know, you, you, you can't really, you can't really fake that as a company. You know, I think some people try or they put the messages they think people want to hear, but you've really got to be true to your values and be authentic about that. And I think that's going to win over pay, you know, because the pay is a commodity, right? Like, as, as you mentioned, someone can top you for a thousand dollars here or a couple dollars an hour. And in the end, that's not what holds people It people's people's bond and connection with the place they work is is really important. And so being authentic as you bring that message to the market is is really critical in what we're communicating for clients right now. Now, when you go to a potential customer and maybe they're not doing this, you know, you said to some of your customers, you, you weaned away or, you know, outcompeted somebody, an, ex- an existing incumbent. But when you're looking at somebody kind of brand new, what's the sales pitch you're making to them? And what are their points of resistance? Yeah. So the, the I'll go with the point of resistance first. I mean, number one, they're, they're, they're just, you know, concerned about change. I think that they've done uh, you know, a certain recruitment marketing approach for so long and, you know, change is hard. And especially where, you know, it's critical that you have, you know, people coming on board, making that change is, is probably the biggest uh, risk that people feel like they have. You know, that all being said, you know, we're able to to lift and shift a campaign in a matter of days. You know, if someone talks to us in May, we can start on June 1 and get things rolling. Uh, and, and so that's, that's really, you know, it's as easy as that. I think the part that's differentiating our overall um, service higher clicks as an agency compared to others is is really the the fact that we try and learn the client's business you know try and understand the operations understand where the uh, the red markets are versus you know markets where maybe they aren't as critical for hiring so it's not just you know one campaign fits all like we really come into the business learn the business uh, and then from there it becomes service. Uh, the responsiveness of the service, because there's critical issues that come up and, you know, whoever's going to pick up the phone and talk to their customers, regardless of what time of day or what what day of the week it is, that's something that we've been able to be really strong on. And then the last part is return on investment. Someone spending, you know, 10000 a 100000 or a million dollars, we've got to make sure that we know what happened. Not all marketing campaigns work, but our job is to try things, understand what happened and make sure that we're getting better and optimizing those campaigns all the time for the best return on investment. You know, driver supply is always tight. Okay. That, that never changes. Let's say a year and a half ago or two years ago, you know, it was insane. Okay. Now it's merely crazy. You know, we've gone from insane to merely crazy. Has that changed your approach at all? I mean, it's still tight. We know that it's always going to be tight, but it's not as tight. Does it matter? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, you know, when when um, I mean, when we advertise on the job boards, right, where it's, it's kind of like we think the most active candidates are, they're ready to go, they're ready to make a change, they're motivated for whatever reason that data search. Um, you know, a year ago, those prices of what's the metric we use is a cost per apply. The cost per apply prices were like escalated for sure. And so we've seen that soften a little bit uh, over the last, you know, over the last year, but it's still not inexpensive to attract people. And the other part that makes it more challenging is once we actually, you know, get them to fill out an application, what happens after that? How fast can teams get to those applicants? How quickly do they respond? How quickly do they engage with them? So they put themselves in the best position to close that person and and bring them on board. Now, do you deal with that? I mean, obviously, okay, you recruit them, you do your, your, you do your thing. 
and then the applicant goes into their system. Let's say their their system is not good. Do you advise them or do you kind of stay away from companies that you think are maybe, you know, they're all talk up front, but then the, the application process is painfully slow. Yeah. Do you really get into that level with them? Yeah. So I mean, we don't actually talk to the clients. You know, our job is to build that advertising strategy. Well, I, I, I figured, I figured that, but I just like, do you, do you, do you, would you try to avoid, let's say a customer, would you try to avoid a client or let's say a trucking company or whatever that you think had kind of lousy systems because you don't want to be affiliated with something so so inefficient? No, I mean, I think that, so we, we, in addition to the advertising, we started a consulting business and that's like a recruiting operations consulting business. And so that's really where we say, okay, you know, we're, we're sending plenty of applicants, you know, but where's the process gone wrong? So it's like a little mini Deloitte consulting, but just focused on recruiting. And that's been really helpful. And I think that's also part of us getting to know the business and not, not, you know, kind of washing our hands after the, uh, the advertising's done. We really want to help clients figure that out. Because again, those are tough problems to solve, and it's hard to do while you're doing your day job and everything else. So that's why we've got that strategic consulting team, and they'll focus on recruitment process improvements and things like that. Because most of them are they're, they're solvable. It's just a matter of like who's going to you know take that action item and be, and lead that and drive that change. Let's talk about new channels of recruiting. Um, look, you're I'm quite sure you do things on Twitter, you do things on Facebook, or you do things on Monster. I noticed uh, in your LinkedIn that you used to work for Monster. Uh, you know, those are anybody could take a guess that those would be the channels. What are some of the hot channels out there now that people might not be aware of? Or not, not necessarily channels, just tools, uh, recruiting tools that that are starting to be used. Yeah, so I, I think on the, um, I mean, we're still using uh, Meta, you know, Facebook and Instagram pretty heavily. So um, that's that's still an opportunity for folks. I think folks are doing it in name, but when it comes down to precisely using the targeting capabilities, precisely, con- you know converting those leads, there's still opportunities in, in how do we make those types of channels better. That being said, I'd say the hottest channel we're, we're t- trying to take advantage of right now is connected TV. Um, so, you know, we're working with clients to get on Hulu. We, we just became, a, um, as an agency, when you mentioned earlier about trying to be innovative, uh, we just became a Hulu approved advertising partner. So now we can run campaigns on Hulu and target folks. I mean, people, the way they're Consuming media is different. You know, the, the 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 big three networks are a thing of the past. So I'd say right now, connected TV and then how to get someone to take an action from that is really where we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of new work coming from. All right, so let's talk about connected TV because yeah. it seems to me like advertising on Hulu, the number of people who are watching Hulu who might also apply for a truck driver job is yeah. going to be a minuscule percentage. And maybe that's normal for you. Is there any way that you can target somebody who might be a truck driver applicant through something like Hulu? Or, you know, there's a, is, you know, it's kind of like I see drug ads for afflictions, not only that I don't have, I've never even heard of. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, is that kind of the same issue that you have? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of it comes down to, you know, how do we test advertising channels in smart ways? And you know, what we're always looking for are their signs of life. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't go to a client and say, let's do a huge connected TV campaign out of the gate. We'd probably pick a more modest budget. We'd pick a, a, a couple markets. So we know that we're going to get that concentrated spend in a couple of markets. And then we're going to look for signs of life there. Part of our job is to mitigate risk when it comes to trying new things. That's based on our experience based on, you know, what we think is possible. And, you know, we'll basically from that campaign, we'll project out what we think we can get from it. And it might be, you know, small, small potatoes to start. But if we see some signs of life there, and then we can, you know, map out a path of how do we scale this 
um, that's often what we're trying to do when it comes to new channels. Do you see any new channels on the horizon that maybe are, people aren't aware of that you think are going to be the next big thing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of location-based things that are happening. Uh, we recently started working with this uh, client that uses uh, someone's location in an Uber to then, you know, run targeted ads off that location. Uh, we're experimenting with it, and it's a client that's in a real urban area. I don't know if that'll translate into, you know, a value for the trucking industry, but there's definitely, you know, this kind of this idea of pinging someone's location and, um, you know, reacting to that. And delivering an ad based on that is something new. It's it's kind of like right out of Back to the Future, you know. And and I think that something that used to happen there, or you know, so. But it's 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 something we keep an eye on. But you know, again, our job is to be conservative, be aware of it, and and find a way to test it so we can be you know be ready when, when the masses are ready to move to that. All right, let's ask a final question because we're running out of time here. Sure. Based on what you've learned from trucking, what would you say to trucking? that they should do in recruiting, uh, beside hire you, of course, uh, Yeah, right. <laughs> um, that, that they're missing on. What, what message are they just not getting? Yeah, I, I think that most trucking organizations need to look at their apply process and make it as candidate friendly as possible. I think that's, you know, when's the last time the executive team went through their own apply process? And I think there's a lot of eye opening that happens when when people do that. And you realize like, hey, we're trying to welcome people to the company. We're trying to get them in the front door. And you'd be surprised at some of the speed bumps that they hit when, when they actually walk through that themselves. Because if we spend all that time and money to attract them and then they get there and it's a, it's a, it's a process that's broken or clunky, you know, it's going to drive them away and we'll, we'll never see what happened with that person. So it's, it's, I think right now people need to be reflective on that candidate experience. And, and that happens through the, you know, the digital process on the career site and applicant tracking. But then, you know, what happens after that? How are they taken care of by the recruiting team or the site managers? Right. So in the same way that they'll say this, the, the executives at Starbucks yeah. go out once one week a year to work as a barista. Absolutely. You're, you're advocating that, that, at least on the recruitment side, they try to apply and see how well it goes. Yeah, I think it's it's smart to do that. And that way they can get that you know, firsthand experience on what needs to change. You know, if we feel like this is how we're welcoming people across the threshold, maybe it's not what that, you know, executive team has in mind. Very good. We want to thank Neil Costa, the founder and CEO of Hire Clicks, talking about recruiting in the trucking industry. Uh, joined us today here on Drilling Deep. Neil, thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me, John. I appreciate it. You have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts for Freightways. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms and, of course, on Freightways TV. John Kingston, and please join us again.